Hello, everyone, and welcome to Practically Politics. This is Darshel Lynette, your host, and I am going to be giving information about basically how our government is run, how it affects us locally and nationally. So I'm glad that you've tuned in with me and be ready to get some information. I will be sharing about some of the elections that are happening here locally in Oklahoma and those that are happening on a national level as well and how they affect us in our everyday lives, the things that are being voted on in Congress, things that are being signed into law by the president, and the things that are being questioned in the Supreme Court, things of that nature. So all of those branches of government that we have, I will be touching on all of those at some point in time. So if you have any questions, please don't um, hesitate to leave those in the comments or send me a message and I will respond to those in the following episodes. Thank you for your listening and here we go. Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of Practically Politics. I am your host, Darshelle Lynette, and we're going to be talking about the justices that are going to be up for retainment on the coming upcoming election, excuse me, on the 3rd of November, and then state question 814. So in Oklahoma, we have justices that are going to be up for retainment for the Oklahoma Supreme Court, which are Matthew John Kane in District 1. Tom Colbert in District 6, and Richard B. Darby in District 9. All of those are going to be up for retainment. So basically they'll get on, they'll be voted on for another six years on the Supreme Court in the state of Oklahoma. Um, I will say that I did try to look, I wasn't, I wasn't aware, but now I know that Oklahoma does not, um, provide statistics for the Supreme Court um, caseload that we that they have so we don't have any statistics on the judges whether they're doing a good job or not because they don't provide statistics which is kind of weird to me but so that's about the Supreme Court judges and then we have the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals judges that are going to be up for retainment which is Robert L. Hudson in District 2 and Gary L. Lumpkin in District 3. And um, Judge Lumpkin is actually the head judge in the Court of Criminal Appeals currently. Um, Then we have the judges for the Oklahoma Court of Civil Appeals, which is going to be Jane P. Wiseman in District 1, Office Number 2, Deborah B. Barnes, District 2, Office Number 1, and then Keith Rapp in District 2, Office Number 2. So all of those judges are going to be up for retainment. Again, I did not try um, see any of the caseloads or anything like that. I couldn't get any stats on those. So if somebody actually knows where to find those, send me information in the comments or send me a message so I can try to find those and get those out to everyone. Now. Um, in the next segment, we're going to be talking about state question 814. (music) 
Welcome back. We're going to be talking about state question 814, legislative referendum 375. So this state question is based on how money is going to be appropriated from the current TSET fund and the legislature. Right now, there's a fund that is set up called the TSET fund, which is the Tobacco Settlement Endowment Trust Fund. It was set up based upon a master settlement from 1998 from the tobacco industry. There were states that sued the tobacco industries because they were having to pay out monies for health care for people who were smoking and because the tobacco industries were advertising to people under the age of 18 because they were trying to get them to start smoking. So they brought a lawsuit to the Supreme Court they lost and the or the states brought the uh, lawsuit the tobacco industry lost so they had to pay out this money to the states that was included in this lawsuit and they had to um, pay out money annually but this set up where they could not be sued in the future for these reasons so every year Oklahoma gets about 75 million dollars from the tobacco companies because um, to help prevent tobacco use, um, set up programs for people to understand the harms of tobacco use and all of that stuff, and then to get people to um, help people to stop smoking and using tobacco in any form. Also, research for cancer and other different programs just to promote healthy living. So you have advertising, social media, all those things that are included um, that is used to promote healthy living here in Oklahoma outside of tobacco use. So 75% right now goes from that $75 million that we get every year goes into the TSEC fund. And then the other 25% goes to the legislature. The legislature has the fund set up and of the money that is that goes to the legislature, about four point six million dollars of it goes to the state attorney general's office for I don't know. It didn't say in there what they were using it for, but that's how it's appropriated right now. They want to change it and have only twenty five percent go into the fund for programs to, you know, stop people from or give information out basically and promote healthy living, stop people from smoking, get them to prevent them from starting smoking, younger people, and so on and so forth. And then the 75%, they want to go to the legislature. And it says that the legislature, this will restrict that fund where they have to use it to secure federal matching funds to expand the Medicaid program here in Oklahoma. They've been trying to do this for years, and for years it has been shot down. Um, I am leery about it because you're saying that you're securing these funds. Um, what if you're not able to, and it's something that happens, or you cannot use it to secure the funds, then the money is sitting there and it's going to be able to be appropriated through the legislature for something else. That's why I don't agree with it but obviously you can do more research into it and decide for yourself so that's kind of the backstory in the short and skinny of state question 814 
Okay, in this final segment, I'm going to talk about the Affordable Care Act to just give everybody some information because it was brought up during the presidential debate this past Thursday. Now, the Affordable Care Act, or um, it's under different names, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare is the same thing. Um, it's public law number 111-148 and it was instituted March 23rd of 2010 and basically um, there's some main things that people really look at when they look at the Affordable Care Act and it states that a health plan is prohibited prohibited excuse me from applying lifetime limits or annual limits on a dollar value of benefits for any participant or beneficiary after January 1st, 2014. So like you couldn't limit people from using a benefit that they had on their health care um, because they used it too much, like because of a condition they may have had. So health plans, some health plans, they limited you from using certain things a certain number of times or a dollar amount that you could use the affordable care act said that they could no longer do that because a lot of people a lot of health plans was doing that because of pre-existing conditions so in example it could be like with me and my asthma um on health insurance they could say well you could only end up getting say for instance you could only go to the doctor if you're having issues with your asthma um, we will only pay up to a thousand dollars or something like that and then anything after that you will be responsible for or we would only pay 20% and not 100% of that um, because you have asthma and we know we're gonna have to pay for that um, some health plans did do that type of thing for pre-existing conditions so that was taken out based upon the Affordable Care Act it also prohibits um, health plans from taking coverage away from an enrollee. So if I had asthma and they felt like I was going to the doctor too much and they didn't want to pay anymore, they could decline health care. So that the Affordable Care Act stopped that. Um, they could not impose any cost sharing requirements on preventative care. So and um, immunizations and well woman visits and child um, screenings and stuff like that so some plans only allowed you to um, say that you had to put this amount of money in for us to be able to do this type of thing or cover this on some health plans or whatever the Affordable Care Act stopped that and then they had to health plans had to give an accurate and pretty simple explanation of the benefits that they offer and the um, what it was going to actually cover because some plans said you know kind of gave a generalization of what they were going to cover but then if like somebody might interpret that one way or another so they had to specify what it was that they were covering in their plans um, they could not discriminate because of the compensation of an individual. And so you had health care plans that would not provide insurance because somebody wasn't paying as much as somebody else. So they could not no longer do that. They were doing that. They could not no longer do that according to the Affordable Care Affordable Care Act.
Okay, and some other notable items in the Affordable Care Act are the options to be able to stay on your parents' or guardian's insurance until you are the age of 26. Previously, um, on most health care plans that I'm aware of, the limit that you could stay on to your parents' or guardian's insurance was either 23 or 24. Most of them cut off right then, um, which meant that any single adult that was on their parents' insurance, for the most part, these would be um, young adults graduating from college and maybe just now getting out of college, getting at a, you know, starting at a low level entry position, they may not be able to get insurance for a year or so. So they were going without insurance because they were not able to stay on their parents' insurance. The Affordable Care Act repealed that and allowed them to be able to stay on until the age of 26. Um, There was also um, where the Secretary of Health and Human Services had to develop a reporting um, system for health plans to to basically report on how they're doing. Um, are they improving health outcomes um, with the, pro- with the um, benefits they're providing? Are they preventing hospital readmissions? Um, which would say that if somebody had to go back and be re- readmitted to the hospital would be like they may not have been able to get a scan that they needed the first time they were there. And so then they went home, got sicker, or did not get better, and then had to come back and be readmitted. And so, and that could have been because the healthcare plan that they had denied them to be able to get, you know, a scan that they couldn't, you know, pay for out of pocket. So they just decided not to do it. So um, improve patient safety and reduce medical errors. So basically training in the medical field and then promoting wealth, wellness and health. Promoting, if the healthcare plans provide coverage, then people are more apt to be able to go to the doctor, get those, you know, screenings that they need to get prior to getting sick. Um, most people who get sick, if they don't have health care, is because they could not go to the doctor to get, get checkups and stuff like that. So, The Affordable Care Act is actually in a lot of different areas was helping and is still helping people to be able to get stuff caught before and is very, you know, on the side of prevention instead of, you know, let's see how we're going to be able to heal somebody if they, you know, end up getting cancer. We may have caught it if they were able to go to the doctor more than one time or get checkups like they were able to do if their health plans provided for that. So the Affordable Care Act did all of those things. And for whatever reason, that's, they're trying to, the Trump administration is trying to appeal that. Um, And at this time, I have not found a coverage plan that they are saying that we're going to be able to institute instead of the Affordable Care Act. So as long as I'm, um, he's been in office, he's been saying that we have a plan that's coming out this, it's coming out here, it's coming out then, and it has not come out in the three and a half, almost four years that he's been in office. So remember that as well um, with the Affordable Care Act. There are a lot of things that people did not agree with 
with the Affordable Care Act because if you it also had it in there if you did not have insurance you had to pay you know during tax time you had to pay a penalty. Well, um, and I didn't agree with that part because some people can't afford if you're living check to check. Sometimes you can't afford to get health insurance, so that to me was kind of a um, that was a definitely a bad thing that I did not agree with with the Affordable Care Act, but there were a lot of positive things in it. So sometimes you have to look at the compromise of, you know, what is, is this, you know, the outcome, we kind of weigh the pros and the cons of it to see if it's a good thing for the nation or not. And overall, it was a good thing. So keep that in mind about the Affordable Care Act. Well, we've reached the end of episode two. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned some information that will help you to make an informed decision during voting time on November 3rd. I hope everybody goes out and votes, no matter how you vote, what political party you vote, um, or you what political party you're in, how you vote. Um, I just want everybody to go out and vote because it's such an important thing. So many people sacrifice for us to be able to do it. So I encourage you to do so. And I will see you next time on the next episode of Practically Politics. Thank you.